Thanks, Tommy boy. Okay. Um, first reading, Psalm 98 on page 6600. And what else? Second, Luke, chapter 2, from verse 22, verse 2035. Next one. Um, on page 1033. And I need to see Okay, so um, Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now flipping over to page 1033, Luke chapter 2 from verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Thank you, Wendy. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Christmas Eve. Do you say happy Christmas Eve? I don't know. Um, how about now? Um, Heavenly Father, we're just thankful. We're so thankful to be here together this morning and uh, thankful for the yearly rhythms that we get to reflect on the birth of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that this Christmas... It won't go by without us being able to really sing for joy, for deep joy, because of what you have done for us in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it is, it's impossible to, to keep Christians from singing, isn't it? You know, we've already sung together. It's one of the, the normal things that Christians do when they gather week in, week out. Uh, and... I take it because singing is kind of a vehicle for joy uh, and it's a vehicle for joy for even for people like me who can't sing in tune. I still love trying to belt it out, uh, not so that it's distracting for everyone else, but singing does provide us a, 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 um, a way to express our joy and I do think it's one of the very unique Christian things that they do together uh, and many of people who aren't followers of Jesus or anything, they always tell me, you know, I just love the singing. It's, it's something that's very unique about what we do when we gather. Um, but at Christmas time, uh, you know, everyone kind of joins in, don't they, on this singing thing. You know, everyone gets their carols on, uh, you know, they kind of get the Christmas spirit, the cheer, you know, we've already reflected a little bit on the gifts, the giving, the lights, you know, but at Christmas time, there's a lot that um, we, we do together uh, and it kind of can lift our spirits, can't it, for a little bit this Christmas season. But then once you kind of get over trying to search for your figs for that salad that you've been asked to get from seven different shops, you get to the end and you're kind of exhausted, uh, and that's about it. Then the reality hits and, you know, you're back to reality. See, the reality is for many in our community that Christmas actually makes no difference, no significant impact to the rest of their life, their day-by-day living. It's just a yearly rhythm that they come together, carols, they have food, enjoy the community and the Christmas cheer, uh, but then there's no thought or consideration to what's going on. And it is such a tragedy, isn't it, that you can sing carols, that you can have these wonderful truths and just miss the point, totally miss the point, you get caught on the peripheral, you know, the frills, the extras, the shopping, the gifts, the wrapping, the lunches, the meals, and you can actually miss the real deep joy uh, that Christmas brings. It kinda, it's kind of like the fisher, the fisherman who goes on a fishing trip and he comes back and he gets asked, how was it? And he just talks about, oh, it was good weather. You think, 
He's not really a fisherman, is he? You know, he wants to talk about the fish. It's like bride who's only ever um, concerned about the dress but misses the fact that she's getting married, misses the, ma- the guy, or the doctor that just loves being a doctor for the prestige, the respect and power rather than a way to serve the community, uh, or the dad that just uses his kids or his children for his own purpose rather than to serve and grow them. It's a, it's a real shame and tragedy that you can come to Christmas, be so close, yet miss the heart and the foundation of what brings us joy uh, and lasting joy. Well, this morning, uh, as Jasper said, we're going to have a look at Christmas through this Psalm 98. And I think it gets to the heart of why Christians sing joyfully all year round. Not just at Christmas and carols, but all year round. Now, Psalm 98 was written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, right? But it does point in a prophetic way to what Jesus brings, and it's the heart of what Christians believe. So let's jump into it. Uh, I think there's three reflect on why we're to sing joyfully all year round. And the first one is, is that we're to sing, we're commanded to sing to God as our Saviour. Uh, have a look there in verse 1. If you don't have it, grab, grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to have a look at that there. Verse 1, he says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. See, why are we called to sing this new song? It's because of salvation that God has won, that he has bought. Now, the thing about salvation and being saved, it's only worth singing about if you think you need saving, right? Uh, the, the people who wrote this song or were originally singing this song, they knew it. They, in the context of the psalm, we don't have the exact details, but where it's placed in the psalm psalter, it's, probably, it's likely that it's a psalm that they would sing as they were coming out of exile. Uh, because when the nation of Israel was in exile, they were captive under the rule of Babylon and they'd lost their homes and family and everything. Uh, but God had rescued them uh, from the hand of the nations of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they commanded to sing this new song of God's saving act to them. But it's not the only time, is it, in the Old Testament that the nation Israel sing about salvation. Um, now this is over to you, so you, I want you to answer and call out. Uh, when are the other times where the nation sung at God's salvation, kind of key moments in their history. The Exodus, yes. Moses, Exodus 15. So that's when they're coming out of slavery in Egypt. uh, And Moses writes this long song of God's salvation, of his rescue. Other ones? Good one. Yeah, David. David, uh, you know, he's, there was singing and dancing and, you know, he may, things may have got a little bit floozy <laughs> at that time. Uh, but, you know, that was a real uh, a joy. It was the, the God where he belonged with his people. All other ones? Yeah, 
Not yes. yes. Um, the, temple. the temple. Yeah, they would sing in the temple. Mhm. <laughs> Not sure they were singing about the bunnies, but if they lived here, they might have. Yes, when they were winning. Yet. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of those. So uh, in Judges with Deborah and Barak, you know, they, they sing a song of salvation when Israel defeat the Canaanites. Um, there's. Yeah, Jericho. Yep, yeah, they made, they did the walk around and blew the trumpets. Yes. Yep, there's a victory one. Um, he's got all these moments. Yes? Yeah, yep, the first Christians definitely sung. It's been a marker for um, many, many times. Um, now, do you remember when they couldn't sing? Yep. That's right. Babylon. Psalm 137, you know, when the irony, isn't it? Boney M writes a song about not being able to sing when you, you know, your, your tongue's stuck to your mouth uh, because they're in captive, they're tormented, they're defeated. They can't, we, we can't sing a song. And then we have a guy write a song about it anyway by the rivers of Babylon. Um, but the point trying to reflect on is that the, the singing is a vehicle of joy for those who have been rescued, for those who know God's salvation. And over and over again, Israel sung of God's saving work, his salvation. And this is why you get to Jesus in the New Testament and you get these words and these songs get kind of burst out, don't they? Uh, we, you know, we didn't read this one, but Mary in Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 47, uh, she burst into song and she says, uh, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has done great things. Uh, you get the angels singing uh, at Jesus' birth, just after the declaration of what Jasper said in uh, Luke 2, 11, they, you know, speak of that great news of great joy for all people, because a Saviour who is Christ the Lord is born, and they sing glory to God in the highest. Or we get these words of Simeon that we read out. When he looks at the 30 or 40 week old baby Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Your salvation that you have prepared for all peoples in the presence of all peoples. He sees Jesus and he says, this is God's salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. See, singing and praise to God is for those who have been rescued to save. And it is only when you recognise that you need saving that you will sing joyfully about it, isn't it? It's only those who recognise they need saving. Uh, I heard this illustration, I loved it. Can you imagine you're out swimming at Maroubra uh, and you're just enjoying a nice swim uh, and then someone grabs you, puts their arm around you and drags you in to the beach. Now, now how would you be feeling? Come on, I'm just enjoying the, 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 the swim out here. But if you're swimming at Maroubra and you're drowning and someone from behind you puts the arm around you and drags you in, I mean, you're, you're, your feelings totally change, hasn't it? You're like, yes, a saviour is exactly what I need. And it's no wonder, I take it, that Christians, those who are saved, sing joyfully all the time, all year round, because 
They're the ones who know they need saving. Now, if you're here and you don't think you need saving, if you think your kind of life, you've got your life sorted and you've got everything in control, uh, you know, I've got this covered, the idea that Jesus came to save you will rub you up the wrong way. It's not a news of joy, it's not a news of welcome, but it's probably a little bit offensive and a little bit pokes to the heart. Hang on, I don't really need saving. Now, the reality is Jesus didn't come to save us from waves and drowning, but he actually came to save us from sin, death and Satan. Now, the idea of, um, of sin in the Bible, is, it's just the idea that you're kind of living as though you're the most important person in the world, ignoring God, living by my ideas and my desires and what I want. Uh, and Jesus comes into the world, the very first Christmas, as a saviour to save you from the consequences of living that way, of that attitude. And, and the consequences for that is ultimately death and it's ultimately being cut off from God forever. See, if you are here and you don't recognise that you need saving, then the news of God's salvation won't bring you joy. It won't cause you to sin. But friends, if Israel, back in Psalm 98, had enough reason to sing a new song at God's faithfulness in love in saving them, how much more do we have today? Because we know the reality of our own hearts and we know what it is to sing joyfully knowing that Jesus is God's saved, per, saved uh, saviour. Uh, the, the song Joy to the World uh, was written by Isaac Watts. Uh, he was an English minister and hymn writer uh, in 1719. And he actually wrote that, the, the song, the, what we call now carol, the hymn, Joy to the World, as a reflection of this psalm. And as we sing that psalm, you can reflect on the joy that he's saying about joy to the world because the Saviour is here, the Saviour reigns. Okay, that's the first reason why we sing. Uh, the second reason we're called to sing and make a joyful noise is because, the God, because God is King. Have a look in verse 4. Psalm 98 verse 4, he says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King the Lord. You notice that it's all the earth is to make a joyful noise and praise before who? Verse 6, the King, the Lord. Now, our picture of a king and royalty doesn't really help us here, doesn't it? I don't know if you've got the picture. I think there should be a picture of um, King Charles here. You know, it doesn't really help. It's kind of, you know, he's old. How, how old was he when he got coronated? I can't remember. How old? 70. All right. 74. But there's just so much pomp and ceremony. And, you know, if your picture of a king is this thing in England with the pomp and ceremony, with no real difference to your life, no real impact on what it means to live now, no power and authority over us, when you hear about a king, you think, oh, I don't know, that doesn't really mean anything to me. But can I say this picture of king uh, is not the picture that God has here. The picture here is that it's actually God himself 
who is king. He's, he's the, the God, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who sustains all things and upholds everything. And it's this God who has the, a power and authority and ability to make a difference in all people's lives. And it's someone who everyone ought to worship and praise. That is why you get in verse 4, do you notice it's not just the saved people from verses 1 to 3 that are singing here, but it's a, a call for all the earth, all the peoples of the earth are to praise this king who is God. It's, it's uh, everyone, everyone is to grab your instruments, get your neighbours, this is a new song of salvation for everyone. Uh, for them, that would have been a song that the Egyptians, the Assyrians and the Babylonians were called to praise the Lord. Uh, they are people who weren't worshipping God, but they're called to join in on this song. Today, it doesn't matter what nationality you are, what religion or culture you grew up with, what assumptions of the world you have, what life about God you have, whether, it's, you know, whether you're an atheist, materialistic, or, don't, or you know, don't care, maybe you're spiritual, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever, but the psalmist is saying, no matter who you are, He's, he's calling you to join in this song, this new song. Now, the reality is for uh, Israel, their king and their, uh, their reign was never universal. There was probably only about 40,000 people who were coming, came out of exile uh, back, but they were surrounded by superpowers. But this psalm does point forward, doesn't it, to the coming universal king. This, this comes, looks forward and points forward to Jesus. Now, what is interesting, I take it, as, is the words that are used to describe Jesus at his birth. See, not only does Simeon tell us that he sees, looks at Jesus and sees his salvation, uh, he's told by the Spirit, in verse 26 in Luke, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. There are two words there, Lord and Christ, that are worth reflecting on. Uh, that word Christ is just the Greek word uh, Christos, which is the same as the Hebrew word Messiah. I don't know if you noticed that when Jasper read out uh, the psalm at the start. I think he said Messiah, uh, but we had Christ on the screen. Uh, that's because they're the same word. One's Greek, one's Hebrew, and some Bible translations just keep the Hebrew in the New Testament. So that's why when you read it, they're actually talking about the same thing. Uh, but that word the anointed one. Uh, and so in the Old Testament, who did they anoint? They anointed kings. They anointed rulers. The second thing we have is that word Lord. Uh, to, to the Lord there means uh, to be uh, boss or master and to be in charge. But did you notice <clears throat> Lord there, it's the same word that is used in Psalm 98. Uh, and in Psalm 98, it's all uppercase, capitalised, uh, and that is to refer to God. Uh, it's, they didn't, it, it's the word to refer to God, their personal God that uh, saved them. Now, the Hebrew people, they didn't really want to use, uh, they would never say uh, God's name, Yahweh, out loud. They would uh, say another word because they didn't want to accidentally say it in vain. But I take it that what Luke is trying to get for us to see is that when he sees Simeon, when Simeon sees Jesus, sorry, he doesn't see Simeon, uh, he sees the Christ, the Messiah, 
who is the king. Now, is it the Christ, the anointed king, who is the boss, the Lord, lowercase, kurios, or is it the Christ who is God? I think he wants to see that this is the Christ who is God himself. Because he sees the king who is the Lord, the ruler, the God himself, the true king of kings and lord of lords. Now, that reality about who Jesus is, God himself, the king, the ruler, demands a response, doesn't it? If Jesus is God, then he requires and demands obedience. He demands a life lived with him as the king, as the ruler, as your God. And it's it's not the kind of person that you can kind of uh, pick and choose what bits of him you like or will listen to. Uh, By his very nature of who he is, he demands our loyalty and worship because Jesus is the true king, the king of kings, the king of angels, the lord of lords, and he has power and authority to rule and reign over you. Uh, and, and his power and authority is more than just rule and right, but actually it's, it's the ability to set things right, to make a difference. Uh, we run a course here called Life, and in one of the weeks we asked uh, a question, what is the problem with the world? Uh, and this year we had 60, people, 60 different people come through uh, that course, and, you know, when you get your kind of typical answers, so 60 different people said, uh, what would you typically think is wrong with the world? Greed, selfishness, famine. You know, these are the answers. Inequality, oppression. These are the answers we get. But can I say, I've been running a course similar to this and asking a similar question for 10 years, and you know what no one has ever said? What's the problem with the world? Well, they've never said... Some people say sin. Christians will say sin. No... No one has said death. That's fascinating, isn't it? Now, why has that not come up? Surely death is a massive problem that we're all facing. I take it death is a problem that we're all faced because it's not just a, a, you know, a natural medical problem that we all, but it's actually, the Bible says, it's unnatural and it's a spiritual problem because the consequence of living your life apart from God, not with him as your king and ruler, is that you cut yourself off from the source of life. And we've lived as rebels, pushing ourselves away from him. And God says the consequence for that is actually that our lives won't last. Now, Jesus comes into the world, into our mess, our context, and he is God himself the king who has authority to do something about our sin and the consequences of our sin, death. See, he comes in and doesn't stay a baby. He, he dies in our place and he absorbs the consequence of our rebellion so that we can be free from, the, from it and that those of us who trust and follow Jesus, we need not fear death because Jesus saves us from death itself. Now, for those who know the hymn, Joy to the World, what does he say? He said, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let the earth receive her king. And and what does he say? And it's not just some people receive, 
But every heart has to make room and prepare room for him. See, Christians sing joyfully because Jesus has won. He's overpowered sin and death and he has conquered our greatest enemies. But if you're here and you're caught up with the frills of Christmas and don't understand your need, don't understand and think that you need saving, don't want someone to be your king, don't want someone to be powerful enough to be on your side, then you won't have this joy. You'll miss this deep joy of knowing Jesus as your saviour and your king who is God. Now, Psalm 98 has another little twist at the end, doesn't it? See, it's not just that uh, the saved people sing or that all the people of the earth are to sing, but creation itself sings. Uh, and as we read in the kids, as we heard in the kids' talk, have a look at Psalm 98, verse 7. It says, Let the sea roar and all that fills in it, the world, those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. See, creation itself here is to provide a musical rhythm and accompany it for all the people of the earth singing. The seas roar, the sea, but everything that's in it, the whales, the sharks, the seaweed, you know, the picture of rivers clapping their hands is just, it's, you know, all-encompassing creation of joy. There's no one sitting out of this song. There's no place on earth that isn't clapping with joy. There's no silent mouth. There's no quiet mountain. All of creation, everything is singing to this God. And why are they singing? Verse 9, they sing because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? Sing for joy, the whole creation, the earth is joining together because God is judging the earth with righteousness and the peoples with equity. When was the last time you joyfully sung about God's judgment? I mean, I was trying to think, can you think of a song that sings and rejoices in God's judgment? Band to let me know. I don't know. Well, no, it's a bit. Yeah, that's right. It is joyful, isn't it? You you always feel odd when you're singing a joyful song and it's about judgment. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, who can sing about that with joy? Well, it's people who are in exile, can't they? It's people who, because of their faith, are persecuted. They are the ones that long and sing and trust in the coming judgment of God and that brings them great joy and hope because they know that in God, justice will be upheld. See, if God did not judge the world, if he did not, uh, it would show he didn't care, wouldn't it? If God were to see all the injustice and there's lots around us and not move to action, it would actually show a cold indifference of God and not love. It's actually because of God's love for the world that he judges and it shows us that he cares. The, the interesting and thing that I'm very glad about it is that it is God who judges because it's only God who sees and knows everything and he will get every 
judgment right. See, nothing is hidden from him. He's not corrupt. He's not self-serving. He's not fallen, but he actually judges with absolute equity and he will get every judgment right. We have seen God's judgments in history. Uh, we saw it in the nation of Israel, you know, the flood, the, uh, the exodus, the exile. But I think we ultimately see it in the coming of Jesus. Ultimately see it when he took, when Jesus took on the wrath of his father for you and me. And that final judgment has actually been given to Jesus. He will come back and judge. And we can be absolutely confident that Jesus will not abuse his power when he comes back. You know why? Because in his first coming, you know how he responds to those who are against him, who crucified him? In his love, what does he say? Firstly, he says at the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he says, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Is that the kind of person you want to be judging everyone, to be making all things right? It's the person I'm thankful that's on the judgment seat. When Jesus comes back, his judgment will expose our hearts. It will expose everything about us. And if we don't think we need a saviour, if we don't want God to be our God, our King, then that will be exposed. But if you're here and you know that you need a saviour, that you want God to be your King, then that too will also be exposed and you can sing joyfully. You can sing with great gladness and awe and thankfulness because God is your Jesus is our saviour, he's our king and God and he's coming back to judge and your judgment has already been passed on him. Friends, you can't get this joy, this gladness by just joining in on the frills of Christmas. It will never work, it will only ever fade. The only joy that lasts and the only way you can sing all year round is knowing that Jesus saves you from your sin, that he's the king with authority and power to rule over everything and even your death and that his judgment has been passed on to Jesus. I mean, that's the deep, true joy we have at Christmas. That's why we sing joy to the world. And when next time we sing, I think we're singing it tomorrow, we can fix our eyes on Jesus. Grateful in joyful praise. We're going to sing some other wonderful songs together now, but let's sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvellous things. I might pray for us as the band come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you wrote these words of Psalm 98 many years before Simeon saw Jesus and said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Thank you that you sent Jesus at Christmas to die the death we deserve and to rise that we might have life. And we pray that we might respond with joy, that many of us would join in this new song as your saved people gladly living with Jesus as our saviour, king and judge. And Father, prevent this from just being another moment that has no impact by your spirit on us. We pray that your spirit will work so that we would know the deep joy and delight of knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.